Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Soberland. My name is Lindsay, and today's guest is my friend Natalie Turner. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Natalie and I used to work together many, many years ago, I'd say like six or seven years ago, um, and we have not like seen each other or spoken to each other since then. So I'm really excited to catch up with you today and hear about what's been going on. Your story is totally a mystery to me, so I'm, I'm really, really excited. Thanks. Yeah, me too. I'm glad we get a chance to catch up, and I'm glad we get a chance to sort of connect and um, share our stories and and learn more about each other. So I'm really excited. Yeah, totally. So yeah, we used to work together at the Melting Pot, which <laughs> if you if people aren't familiar, it's a fondue restaurant. When you say like, oh, I used to work at the Melting Pot, it's like, but wait, no, I didn't actually serve. Like I, I was on the corporate side. Like I made really cool menus or I set up really cool press junkets. Like I feel like we always have to clarify like, no, you don't want me serving. Trust me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like obviously like there's nothing wrong with serving, but it's no. like, it's, yeah. yeah, it's just a different, very different job. We actually worked in like marketing. And so yes. um, it just happened to be for a restaurant brand. So right. I was a server for 10 years and I have nothing but the utmost respect for anybody in the service industry, but I think I burned the first pot of fondue that I ever made. And they're like, yeah, okay, you don't have to do this. You're fine. Like, well, just, there's a reason you're in marketing. Yeah, that's true. I don't think I could actually be a server at the melting pot because that's like, it's a lot required of them with like all the mixing and melting and there's like there's like fire at the table I'm like no I can't I can't handle that yeah, I know and the, it's so great but when you go there you smell like it for the rest of the day like it's almost like going to a Japanese steakhouse you smell like melted cheese and melted chocolate and it's it's wonderful because who doesn't want to eat bread cheese and chocolate but um yeah it's like the, have, scent, the scent of Gruyere, Gruyere in my hair Gruyere like, with white wine love um, it. <laughs> I haven't gosh I haven't had that in Honestly, it 2015, it's been so long. Um, but and what were we working on back then? It was the cooked food, like wild. <laughs> yeah, we, we thought we were being like super innovative because Melting Pot was introducing cooked food uh on the menu. We're like, yeah, people are already have been doing that for years now. <laughs> like, yeah, we worked together there for about a year or so, and then um, I think that's when I, I left Tampa and I moved mm -hmm. to LA. So yeah, I mean, I think we've stayed connected on mm -hmm. social media and, you know, Instagram and things like that, but I have like no idea what you've been up to. Um, so tell me like, what did you do after I left? Did you stay in Tampa for a while? No, um, I stayed in Tampa. Oh gosh, not much long after you left. So I've been back in Columbus, Ohio for, um, almost six years. And so I really consider my year in Tampa to be my remote year because I would fly up to Columbus, you know, as much as I could. So I've really been here for um, a little over 11 years. And I've had a variety of other Marcom jobs. I've really just stuck in the industry. I'm a lifer. So I'm actually, I actually work for a large health system now in Columbus. And I'm, um, I am less than two weeks away from graduating with my MBA from the Ohio State University. And yes, I feel like I've earned the right to say the Ohio State <laughs> University. So um, it's always been one of my goals and a big reason why I wanted to come back because I knew I wanted to get my MBA by the time I was 35 and I'm 34. So goal achieved. But nice. I also always, thank you. I wanted to get it from Ohio State. So um, it was like a dual reason for coming back. I missed my life here. And, you know, I, I've just always seen myself here, but now I'm like ready for the next challenge. You know, I'm like, okay, bucket checked or like checkbox checked. I'm ready to see what's next and, and, 
spread my wings more or less, mm-hmm. but COVID has been a wee bit, it's uh, added a wee bit of a damper because, you know, in 2009, when I graduated undergrad, I graduated into a recession and now I'm graduating into another recession. It's like, oh, oh. my God. Like, what are the odds? I catch a break. Right. Especially like ones you don't contribute to. So I yeah. just, you have to, if you don't laugh, you cry. So I'm going to laugh it off. Yeah. Well, thankfully, from what I've seen and heard, like there's more opportunities kind of coming out. So hopefully yeah. something comes up for you. I don't really know too much about like your mental health and sure. things like that. Because to be honest, when we were both in Tampa, I could. My mental health and other people's mental health was like the farthest thing from my mind. So I I don't think we ever like really talked about, you know, struggles or how you were doing. I I feel like mental health awareness and emotional well-being and focusing on resilience really hasn't become, and I'm not even going to say cool, but it hasn't even become aware in the, like the world we live in probably until about like two or three years ago that people really started talking about it. But I've actually been in therapy since I was 15. So going on 20 years, not like every day, obviously going, or even every year and taking some breaks, but I have always been in some form of therapy, whether it be individual or group therapy. And I have found such solace in it. Excuse me. And so throughout sort of my time in therapy, and I'll, I'll say that the reason why I went is my parents went through a really bad divorce as I was, um, oh gosh, it was ninth grade spring break. My dad moved out and, you know, I, we all knew that they, that was going to happen. So for me, it wasn't totally radical. Like I actually feel as if it's better that they're separated. And I know a lot of people don't say that like, oh good. I wish my parents were divorced, but like truly I I'm glad mine are. Um, and I went into therapy right away. My mom was really big and a big proponent of that. It's not that my dad wasn't, but it just wasn't in his, it just wasn't like on the forefront of his mind. Um, and so I also have a brother who's two years younger than me and didn't necessarily go down the same route. He throughout, since he was about 10, 11, um, he has suffered from various forms of addiction, um, and alcoholism. He spent a good ver- a good time of of his high school career, like high school time, in and out of juvie and militarized prison academy and rehab. Which, as you can imagine, when your family is like freshly divorced and both you and your sibling are you know close in age, we're two years apart. Um, it puts a lot of strain and pressure on a family, and not it not only puts a lot of strain and pressure on a family, but it puts a lot of strain and pressure as like the functioning child of the family. And I'm using air quotes because I was also going through a hard time, but it's made me hyper aware to addiction and alcoholism. And it's almost like when you're the, when the wheel wants to move forward down like the bad path. And I feel like I'm the stick in the wheel. I'm like, well, wait, no, we need to address this. We need to talk about it. Like we need to emotionally heal. And so, because I'm always the one that's like, it's not, you know, the, not a truth canon, but like, I'm like, wait, no, let's talk about it. Let's fix it. Let's be, let's validate feelings. I get, um, I get almost shunned a lot from my family with the exception of my mom. My mom has been my rock, my, my emotional support, my, like my everything since, since forever. And she's, she always like will be, but that's what sort of have, has led me down like the path where I am now and I'm sober. I've been sober since um, October 2020, um, simply because I I didn't like who I was turning into. And and I'll talk more about this. Um, 
but it really, because of watching my family disintegrate and watching what happens when you do have a sibling that suffers from a form of addiction and alcoholism, it even puts just more of pressure on your family. And then it puts pressure on you as the functioning child, because any sort of like extra attention or love, or even just like your parents wanting to take you to Ruby Tuesday in the mall. That was like my favorite thing to do when I was 15 (laughs) with my dad, because who doesn't like that salad bar and who doesn't want to go to Hollister and buy a funny t-shirt that was probably horribly inappropriate at the time, but definitely. Oh yeah. I I actually worked at Hollister too. (laughs) (laughs) I am so glad I didn't because my, we would, there would have been no paycheck. Like it would have just been like, Oh yeah. Um, and I had a shirt there that I can't believe my mom ever let me buy. It was like, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? Yeah. There was all, I remember that. There's like all these like shirts with sexual and in- you windows. And I like had no idea at the time. I was like, oh, this is cute. I was like wearing it to school. I want to wear this with my rainbows and my like threaded jean skirt. And it's like, oh dear God, the the message I'm sending. And yeah. I'm, my mom. No, <laughs> there was a period where like I thought that I was straight out of the show Laguna Beach. Like obviously. <laughs> obviously I like tried to dress like them and be like them so yeah I went through that phase as well I remember that I feel um, the double polos is just something we should bring back I mean jokingly. Oh no, and also it smelled horrible in there too oh, like, always and the oh. lighting the lighting was like this creepy dungeon like you couldn't see anything so you're like yeah I guess I need 17 of the same skinny tiny tank that goes down over my butt which we all had <laughs> Um, but admittedly I do wish juicy couture jumpsuits would come back. I know it's so gross, but I love them. I do. Maybe one day if, if JLo and Ben Affleck can come back, maybe (laughs) juicy couture. I'm still, I'm still shooketh from that. I'm just like, okay, I guess we're kicking it back to O3, but Hey, you know what? You go JLo. You do. (laughs) Um, so actually I have a question when you were talking about your family. So, um, so you, ended up going to therapy when Mm -hmm. your parents got divorced to kind of process and deal with that. And your brother did not. So I'm just Mm -hmm. curious, was that just because like you, that was your choice and you asked to do that or why? I think at the time my mom, because pre-divorce, I remember going to her therapist and I remember enjoying talking about what was going on. Um, And then my parents never forced us to do anything, which is something that I respect of them. Mm -hmm. Whereas like my dad, it was really hard to get him to engage when my therapist was like, okay, well, would you be open to having your mom come in the session or your dad come in the session? And by nature, my dad's a very defensive person. And let me just say this. I love my dad because he's the only dad I have, but it's a struggle to have a relationship with him because he, he he calls himself a functioning alcoholic, like with a badge of pride. Um, a couple weeks ago, I called him to check in on whichever hurricane happened recently. Was it Irma? Uh, Elsa. 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 Only, only reason I know that is because of that um, Frozen <laughs> movie. Isn't that her name? <laughs> I think so. I've only seen the first one, admittedly. So I, yeah. you know, I called to check in. I'm like, hey, dad. And it's 4.30 on a Tuesday. Like I, There's a sweet spot in when I know I can call my dad because I know he won't be drinking. It's weekdays between like four to five thirty, so it's like a tiny window. Um, and so I call him, and he just—he definitely wasn't sober, and I was obliterated. Like in a fifteen-minute phone call, I'm left like just feeling this sense of depletion, and and you you get angry, and you get 
Like, why at the age of 34 am I still being treated this way by my father? Why is he talking to me this way because he's angry and he doesn't know how to regulate and process his emotions, things we learn when we're toddlers, right? Right. Um, and I had an inkling he might be drinking and I, he had, he's worked in construction his whole life. Um, he owns a business. He has, his dad owned a business. And so as you can imagine working in construction, his shoulders and knees are just, they're awful. And as, as somebody who's a functioning adult, I think, oh, well, I have a toothache. I'm going to go to the doctor. Like, oh, my knee hurts. I'm going to go check that out. Not so much my dad. So the way that he copes and soothes is with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And um, his comment to me, because I, I had said, you know, because he had said, oh, I'm just not feeling well. And I said, dad, I think we, we both know you'd feel a lot better if you went to the doctor and had your shoulder looked into. I said, I know you're not keen on surgery because you don't want to miss any work, but I think we're really at that point. And he starts laughing and he's like, well, that's why the good Lord makes alcohol distilleries. Mm. And it's just like comments like that, that I've heard my entire life that yeah. make me feel it's like, we're better than that. I'm better than that. Life is better than that. Life is more than that. It's still sort of it follows you. Like even though you're physically removed from that environment, the emotional unrest it causes you still follows you. To me, it, it sounds a lot like you're having to play the parent role. Oh, role. Yeah. Well, not only that, but there's there's always these key memories that stick out to you, right? And I, we feel, I feel like we see these memes on Instagram and there's one in particular where it's like a happy memory and somebody's drawing in the beach like sand, you know what I'm saying? Like sand. And then there's the bad memory and somebody's chiseling it in stone. So it's in, you know, in the, your mind for perpetuity. Mm-hmm. And I have these, I was, I've been throughout the years, I've always said to my mom, I'm like, I don't have bad memories of dad, but only the bad ones stick out. I'm like, I can't remember him ever coming to watch me cheerlead in my ill-fated cheerleading career or like wanting to like spend time with me or, you know, wanting to come up to Jacksonville. There's this specific memory. Um, I'm obviously a big Cleveland Browns fan. Please don't judge me. It's in my blood. I'm from Ohio. Like my parent, my, I'm not from Ohio. No judgment here. It's a safe place. (laughs) Well, they're just such an awful team. Like I see, I don't even know. (laughs) They are, but I have such love for them. So there was one time in college that the Browns were playing the Jaguars and it was on my dad's birthday. I'm like, dad, let's get tickets. Like come up to Jacksonville. Like I would always do whatever I could to spend time with my dad. And he's like, okay, great. Yeah, let's get tickets. This was my senior year of college. He's like, well, let's have them shipped to me. Because of course, back in 2008, you know, iPhones were like kind of coming out, but we still used paper like the old school people we were. Um, And so the tickets were shipped to him. And then we had this whole plan. Like it was a Sunday game. He'd come up Saturday. He'd spend the night because my roommates were gone. And so like he'd bunk on the couch and we'd just have like a really fun dad and daughter weekend. Right. Like I was so looking forward to it. I told all my friends, I'm like, I can't wait to celebrate my dad's birthday, go to the game. Like we love to watch sports together. Cause I, I throughout the years have always tried to find a connection. Like it was always me finding the connection. Right. And he got so drunk the night before and he didn't answer my phone calls and we ended up not going to the game because he ended up not coming up. And I finally got a hold of him on Sunday. Like, what's going on? Are you okay? Oh yeah, I got, I drank too much. And I'm like, 
huh, okay. Because he, he, uh, he was concerned to send me the tickets because he was afraid I would lose them. And I'm like, um, do you not know your type A firstborn daughter at all? Like, I don't lose things. <laughs> I Aww. lose my patience, but I don't lose things. Yeah. Um, so it's those memories that stick out. And like being left in my dorm room because freshman year, he didn't want me to have a car which I appreciate, like I get it. And, you know, I'm like, okay, well, dad, you got to pick me up on this day because the dorms close for spring break. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting, like everyone's leaving. He's not answering his phone. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And the next day, like after I had to stay in the dorm, oh, I just forgot about it. And it's like, oh, gee, I wonder why you just forgot about it. And so, you know, my entire life has been an afterthought because of the way, not my entire life, my childhood. And my teen years were a lot of an afterthought because of the choices he chose to make. And then you tack on a brother who's sick. My brother was forced to go to therapy because he he said the same things my father would say. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not crazy. You two are. You two as in me and my mom. Um, and my dad's gotten better with it throughout the years. If he does feel that I shouldn't be going to therapy. He at least doesn't say it, which I appreciate, but my brother would literally, we'd drop him off at therapy and then he'd run away. Like he'd literally run away. And so then we'd be chasing him all around downtown Dunedin, like trying to get him. And my grandfather who was alive at the time would be so mad. Like we'd be in his car because I'd, you know, I was 14, 15 at the time, not able to drive yet. And he's like, go out and find your brother, run over there. And I'm thinking, how crazy is this that I need to go run and and find my brother? And so this dysfunction of of a family unit and and it's almost as if I didn't have a family because of it. Like I've always had an amazing mom. Mm-hmm. I just happen to have two other people in my immediate family, right? Yeah. So I'm it's just something that I've always I've always had this dysfunction and it <clears throat> excuse me, it gets worse because Um, Two of my dad's siblings are very severe alcoholics, um, one of which is also an alcoholic and an addict. And his his younger sister actually wound up in the hospital. Um, It's due to cirrhosis. It's sad because I used to have such an amazing relationship with her. And it's disintegrated. We don't we don't really speak anymore because I've had to put boundaries up. And that's something where I've gotten really punished for. really on both sides of my family, my mom's side, my dad's side, in my immediate family, because one of my coping mechanisms and and therapy tactics has been to create boundaries. And I don't create the boundary for the other person. I create it for myself. And that's what I have to remind myself. Like these people are reacting negatively and angrily to your boundary because they have to change their behavior. Because um, it's hard. It's hard to not pick up a phone call and not talk to somebody. It's, she's my godmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's hard. My dad, his younger brother, his younger sister, my grandfather, just just within my own immediate or his immediate family. Mm-hmm. So then on my mom's side, her parents were severe alcoholics. Um, yeah. No matter where I turn, it's around me and mm-hmm. it's suffocating, you know, like, and that's a big reason why why I've become sober because I watch these people who are really smart people. Like my uncle was a professor for years. Um, My aunt is an ace in the ad world. And like, I watch them 
succumb to this sickness. I watch relationships disintegrate and I watch people become a shell of who they were. And I think to myself, like, I don't want that for my life. Like, I don't, I've never viewed myself as having a problem, but I'm, I would go to extremes. Like, instead of just going out and having a couple glasses of wine, it's like we have the whole bottle and then we get a second bottle. Then it's, okay, well, it's game day. So of course it's game day. Like we've got a party, just vodka after vodka after vodka. And you you leave feeling, and it's like, I'm not frat boy, Chad. Like, why am I acting this way? I just didn't enjoy who I became when I drank. And I have, I've had a lot of time over COVID to, re- I guess really the start of COVID to reflect because it's like, well, you know, I'm a social drinker. When I go out, it's, or when I drink, it's when I go out and it's meeting up for happy hour and it's going to concerts and it's going to, it's going to football games. And, um, I, I'll never forget this concert. It was, um, almost three years ago with my cousin. I'm a huge Fleetwood Mac fan. Always have been. Love me some Stevie Nicks. And at the time she was freshly divorced. And, um, I'm like, Hey, come to Columbus. She lives in Cincinnati. I'm like, come to Columbus. Let's do a girl's night. I got us tickets to Fleetwood Mac. I got us pretty good seats. You know, I'm so, you know, we both love them. Let's go. And she's like, oh yeah, awesome. That's great. And so she drove up. We, we stayed at the hotel by the arena and we got shit faced at dinner. Like I think we were three bottles of wine deep by the time we got to the arena. And all I can remember them playing is the chain. And like, I was so excited for this concert and I don't remember any of it because I was drunk. Like it was all of Fleetwood Mac minus Mick, no, minus Lindsey Buckingham. So it's basically the original crew. And I only remember the chain because they opened it. And I remember I was running and my wine was spilling and I was trying to hold my clutch and my wine at the same time. And we, we both were so drunk that when we got back, she got sick. I got sick the next morning. I paid like $400 for those tickets. And I remember one song. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Like, I love you know, back to. Right. And like, it's stuff like that. Like we, I remember going to, um, oh God, this is, please don't judge me. My dirty little secret is that I like house music and techno music. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Which I know that's like, it's like an intense party scene. It is. And one year with my ex-boyfriend, we went to Spring Awakening in Chicago, not to be confused with the amazing musical, but the techno fest. And again, so drunk that I, I don't remember anyone we saw. It's only because I immortalized it on Instagram that I remember oh yeah, we saw Porter Robinson and like, oh yeah, Zed. Um, And it's such an amazing, like, I love music, but I want to be able to remember my concert when I go see them. So like, it was just me taking stock of like, you've been so drunk at football games that did you say something to offend somebody? Mm -hmm. And the, you know, the, the anxiety the next day when you're hungover and your heart's going like a million miles an hour and you can't remember Oh, did I send that text message? Oh my God, who did I call? Oh my God, how much money did I put on my credit card? There was there was one time with MBA cohorts at the beginning of the program. Um, we went to the bar across the street that everybody goes to and we shut the place down. I spent $175 on touch tunes. Oh my God. Right. 
$175. Yes. That's like a hundred songs, right? At the time, it must have been Ariana Grande because that's when she came out with like her post Pete, whatever the heck, I can't remember his last name, Pete Davidson breakup. Oh, Pete Davidson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And that was my jam. Who does that soberly in their right mind? You know what I'm saying? Like who's like, yeah. no, it sounds like a good idea. I'm going to spend $175 on this. Oh, man. I know. And so it's just like those things where I, you know, they always play in the back of my mind and I really beat myself up over it for, you shouldn't have said this. You shouldn't have done this. You're a fool for acting this way. You're a better person than this. Why would you want to embarrass yourself? And it's, it's the shame that I would feel like I, and I never wanted to be viewed I just didn't like who I was becoming. So was there like a a moment or a night where it really just turned things around for you or did you just have enough? I can't really remember like the day or the exact moment when I was like, you know what, Natalie, you're not going to drink anymore. You're going to be sober. I just remember feeling good about myself. Mm. Like I just remember the waking up after spending time with family and they're notorious heavy drinkers and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go home now. Like, love you guys. I'll, I'll catch you in a couple of weeks. And like, I was actually able to go home and do my full 10 step skincare routine instead of <laughs> like worrying that I might pass out in the shower or, um, spending ridiculous money on song credits. And it just, it just sort of became like, well, maybe I'll just stay sober through COVID. Cause I've done sober January and sober October. And, um, it just, it just evolved. Like it evolved from seeing family one night in October to, well, let's see if I can just like keep this going. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like we can go anywhere really, you know, I, there's no concerts, there's no football, there's no, there's no happy hour because I'm drowning in work and school. Like I have so much yeah. going on. So then it became, well, I'm going to stay sober until Thanksgiving. And then it became, well, I'm just going to stay sober till the new year. And then it turned into, I'm just going to stay sober to my birthday. And then it turned into, well, I'm sober. Like, I'm just sober. (laughs) And and I'm, like, super cool and okay with it. So at first it was, like, one of those little challenges where, like, no, guys, I'm not going to drink. I'm on call tonight. And I'm I'm on call, like, every six weeks for work. So I've literally been called in, like, at 11 o'clock at night because we're having a crisis or, you know, TBD if I have to go in on a weekend because something happened. So during that time I couldn't drink anyways, and it's not that I would, but – it would always make me be like, oh God, I can't even like go out with my friends for a glass of wine because of course I don't want to be reckless. So I remember I was on call in October and it was almost like my excuse, but I've sort of found that as I've the aha moment from going like, okay, well, let's just try another week. I am, it's not that I enjoyed the challenge, but like, I just like who I am. Like, I just feel like I'm not meant to I'm not meant to drink. I don't like who I turn into. I don't like the version of me I become. I It really triggers my depression. Um, and I've suffered from anxiety and depression, I'm pretty sure, my whole life. Um, I've been on medicine for it the last seven years. Yeah, the last mm-hmm. seven years. Um, and yeah. it just – it triggers my depression. It triggers my anxiety and it triggers my anger. And I don't – nobody wants to wake up feeling like the dark cloud is over them and feeling like they're ashamed of themselves. And so I find myself able to cope better with my depression. Um, 
and I'm not the type of person who suffers from the debilitating depression where they can't function. I mean, like, God, I can't even imagine that. Mine manifests itself in anger and it manifests itself in like, like rage. Like I'm only five, three. And there's times when I'm like, I swear to you, I could pick up a car and push it. Like, um, and so I just didn't like who I, who I was becoming. And I found that it triggered those things, which then made me more angry, more depressed, more sad, more anxious. And ever since, you know, going dry more or less and not putting myself in situations where I'll be tempted, I've, I've felt refreshed and clear and I feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. I can look at myself in the mirror in the morning and feel whole and feel complete. You mentioned you were like an anxious person and I think as, and so am I. So I think as an anxious person, it really helps relieve that when you don't have that, those thoughts like, what did I do last night? Right. Like, what, where did I go? Where did this go? Who, like, who was that person? You know, all yep. of these questions that you can't answer that just add to that anxiety. So you eliminate that piece. I thought it was interesting how you were, you were saying like, you, you didn't like set out to like never drink again. No. You kind of started with like a week or something and it just kind of built on that because it can be overwhelming mm-hmm. as a person that's considering sobriety to think, I'm never going to drink again. Like that can be an overwhelming thought. You know, in AA, they say a day at a time, just Mm -hmm. taking it in whatever piece you need to. I think it works, especially at the beginning. So it doesn't seem so overwhelming. It just was mostly me wanting to be present. I wanted to be present in my life and I wanted to be a good friend. I wanted to be a present and functioning friend, daughter, sister, Mm -hmm. cousin, um, coworker, student. I just don't want to have alcohol. I'm totally present in the moment and I'm really enjoying like throwing the football around with my little nephew and I feel uncomfortable being drunk in front of an eight-year-old. Sorry, I do. Like I want to, I want to throw the football with him and I want to, um, I want to cook with the girls and like have them do my hair and nails and things that like you do when you're with little kids. And I just... You want to be like actively participating in your life. Yes. Yes. And like, I don't want to be, I just remember as such a young child, like watching my dad drink and I, I just didn't like it because I didn't like who he turned into. So I never want to be that for the kids that I'm close with. And I'm so close with my cousin's kids. They all call me aunt Natalie. Um, cause they were all like, I was like 23 when they were born. So they're, they're just the sweetest angels. And I, you know, I adore them and I would, you know, I'd give them, I'm like the fun aunt that comes in. Right. And it's like, okay, who wants target gift cards? Like, let's make cakes and like, <laughs> like let's fill you up with sugar. But like, I'm also the first one to like, of course I'll watch the kids. Like I'd love to spend time with them. Like let's cuddle, like let's watch movies. Like I cherish that uh, because I didn't have that growing up and I don't want to be somebody that they can't look up to. Like, it's not like I think I'm this like pie in the sky goal, but I want to be somebody they love and they can trust. And I I was turning into somebody that I, I just didn't recognize. And, um, what I'm, what I'm working on in therapy now is like, why did I get there with drinking? Cause I want to know, like, I feel like that's a part of my process and my journey is mm-hmm. to dig deep into the, like, why would you just go so far to the right instead of like staying somewhere in the middle? Like why Natalie, did you have to go to the extremes? Cause I also wonder too, if that's part of like my anxiety is the, the extreme, you know, and my personality type. But 
I'm, I want to dig into that. You know, a lot of people, when they get sober, a lot of things come up for them because mm-hmm. there's reasons why you were drinking mm-hmm. and now you're dealing, you have to deal with them. And so I was going to, um, ask like what kind of things have come up now that you are kind of dealing with and working through therapy, working in and in therapy. Yeah. Um, I, uh, what I'm calling my agents of chaos and people that like live in a mess. I am, it's not that I've ended friendships and relationships, but I cherish and focus on the ones that serve me and that I serve and that add value to my life. And I have respectfully closed the door on ones where they, I do not want to be an active participant on their life. And so I found that I had a lot of people in my life where the only values we had in common were going out and dancing and drinking and doing things that were embarrassing and just not, not who I am at my core. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've found that the sort of agents of chaos are, I'm putting them, I, it's, I call it, it's my version of compartmentalizing. I put people in a bucket and then I put the bucket on the shelf and then I walk away from the shelf. And it sounds so much more harsh than it is, but that's my process of healing. Um, and I, I have found that my tolerance for um, poor behavior is really low. Like I'm working through, it's almost like my patience, like I'm a very patient person, but I have found that my patience for things is just minimal. Um, and so it's like, I've repressed that with, with drinking and with, and it's not like I drank every day or every night or even every weekend. But like I mentioned, when I would drink, I would go all out, spend hundreds of dollars, just Mm -hmm. act an ass. Like I was an ass and I'm finding like working through things that I don't have the patience for people who don't want to work on themselves and grow. Like I want to be surrounded by people who challenge themselves to be better. And I'm finding that I'm actually able to uncover a lot of the the childhood sort of repressions that I shoved deep down in my soul because I had to keep moving forward. It's like, okay, well, cool. Your parents are divorcing. Your brother's a disaster. Your family life's crap. Um, everyone's drunk. Just got to graduate high school. Oh, great. <laughs> got to graduate college. Like, it's like you, you just have to shove it down because it's like, I just need to keep functioning. Um, so I'm processing a lot of anger and that's, it's funny. I'm actually finding myself not in a bad way that I'm angry, but I'm actually working through my anger. Whereas before, no, I'm fine. Nope. No, no. I'm okay. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it where it's like now I'm like, no, let's talk about it. Let's dive deep. Mm -hmm. Let's have an emotional conversation. Let's cry. And my family, like my mom knows I'm this way. Like I've been this way my whole life, but my family looks at me like, oh, you psychopath. Like, no, <laughs> we don't talk about things. We leave the pink elephant alone in the room. We enable bad behavior and we offer alcoholics drinks. So you need to stop it. You are ruining the vibe. Um, and so I found that I'm angering a lot of people in the process. What kind of support do you have in this new lifestyle and journey that you're on? Do you have sober friends or people that you can confide in? That's funny you should ask that because I've actually, I haven't really told anybody that I'm sober and it's not that I'm ashamed. I'm very proud of myself because, you know, it's a, it's also a big reason watching alcoholism on not only your in your immediate family, but your extended family on both sides. It's a huge reason why I've been hesitant to get back into another serious relationship. And quite frankly, to have kids, because 
I, my family clearly suffers from addiction, depression, and um, alcoholism. And I don't want to pass down a gene. I, I don't want to be the cause of somebody's illness. Um, but because I've taken the step to be sober, I'm feeling more likely that I will have a child because I, I just don't, I would never want a child to grow up in the same environment. And I did. And that's a big reason why I got sober because I found myself acting like the people who were in my environment, you know, like Mm -hmm. I was acting like what I saw, you live what you learn. And I I didn't want to live that anymore. But with that, aside from my mom and me saying like, yeah, mom, I've just not really been drinking. I've not told anybody. So I'm actually going to be using my graduation weekend to tell my family that I'm sober because oh, wow. the, the people that are coming in town are um, the ones who drink the most and minus my mom. And, and there's some other folks that will be there. And um, I'm sort of taking it as my weekend, like, okay, this is a big life step for me and a big journey. But I also want to let you know that I've been going on this other journey alone for the past, what, nine months. And um, I'm sober. I have absolutely no plans to drink again. Um, and, you know, I... It's not that I needed to be, I'm choosing to be, and I don't judge anybody for drinking. I just didn't like the woman I was becoming and who I was acting like. So um, I'm a little bit nervous. I, I think my mom knows, but she it's not like, she knows I, I would catch myself because she's, because she saw obviously like what, you know, what, what we, we dealt with, but um. I have some people in my family who are big, oh, just have a cocktail. Come on, stop that. And I have friends in my life who are like that. Um, But I also have really great supportive friends that, you know, like last night I texted two of my good girlfriends who finished the MBA program a semester before me. And I was like, all right, gals, I'm finished. Just took my final final. Ha ha. Oh, nice. And thanks. It was a doozy. Um, And so they... (laughs) one of them was like, Oh, pour yourself a glass of champagne. And I was like, well, actually I'm eating cheese fries. And Oh, by the way, I haven't had alcohol since October. And the other one was like, that's great. Cheese fries are better. And so like, (laughs) I'm just sort of like slowly dropping it into conversation. Like, yeah. Cause I just, I don't, I'm totally fine with people asking questions and inquiring. It's not like there was this one central moment. It was a series of moments Mm-hmm. as to why I became sober and like not wanting to turn into not wanting to succumb to the sickness that sadly I've seen so many family members succumb to. And it's sad. It's heartbreaking. It ruins relationships. Um, and you know, like I said, I'm 34 and I'm still, I still am navigating the relationship with my dad. Cause he's just not willing. He's just not willing to address, um, his drinking and right. it's, it's a big reason. Um, it's a big reason why I stay away. I love him to death, but it's a huge reason why I stay away. And so I don't ever want to be that for somebody. And so that's, a, that's part of it. So yeah, I will be, I will be telling, I will be sort of making the, the announcement. Um, and I don't think questions will follow. I think it'll be more of like shock and awe, like, well, you didn't have a problem. And it's like, well, you don't have to have a problem to become sober. You can just do it. You can go to a concert and have fun. You can be a support system. You can be that shoulder for somebody to lean on when they're really struggling and not like you don't need to have 
a vice. Like I'm a, right. I'd rather my vice be strawberry sour patch kids than a pomegranate <laughs> martini. <laughs> right. Oh. Right. Yeah. I think like you can just share, like maybe I didn't have a problem that was like super evident, but right. internally it was, I was struggling and I was, and it was making a lot of my anxiety and my depression worse. And, mm-hmm. and I've just found like my quality of life is better. I've, I've come across that where people are like, you weren't an alcoholic, like you didn't lose your job right. or like, you know, crash your car. But well, I was actually like really hurting inside yeah. internally. And maybe that wasn't like so evident to people, but my life is a lot better now. It would totally because it's like, well, wait, so I'm only somebody who's struggling if I get a DUI and I yeah. like I ram my car into a tree. And it's like, but I was so struggling on the inside, but because I'm a very strong woman, I smiled and powered through it. But really on the inside, I felt like utter death and that I had a black soul and that I couldn't stop crying. So yeah, I guess it's the physicality. (laughs) People don't, it goes back to like mental health and well-being that like, it's so much more than your physical health. Mm -hmm. And it's, you have to make choices and decisions that benefit your mental health. And if that means that certain relationships sunset and fade off into the distance, I'm okay with that because, you know, at one point in time, sure, it served a purpose in my life, but now it doesn't. And that's okay. The one thing I am a little nervous about is I hope that friends and family like don't stop inviting me to things because I'm not drinking. It's like, well, I can still have fun. It's just like, you can have your beer. Like I'll just have my, my fizzy water because fizzy water is the jam and I'm still the same person. Like I will still go kill it on the dance floor. I'm just not going to fall down and break a toe in the process. Right. But my experience, like most people do still continue to include you in things, invite you to things. And I think for those that don't, you can just kind of let them know like, Hey, you know, just so you know, I'm still comfortable coming to this or that. And like, and I'm, I'm, I'm expecting that, but it's also been, like I said, kind of helpful with COVID because for the longest time stuff was closed here. I'm not totally comfortable going into like giant, large groups right now, especially because of, you know, every, everyone's getting sick again. So it's, it's somewhat helpful in a way, but like, Mm -hmm. I had the excuse before of, oh gosh, guys, thank you for inviting me. I'm so busy. I have work in school, which genuinely I wasn't blowing smoke. Like most weekends I spent eight, 16 hours doing homework. Like I was a busy bee for two and a half years. So I can't use that an excuse anymore and like as my cover. And so it's like, I almost have to take, take the cover off and like the mask off and be like, nope, this is me. I'm sober. Mm-hmm. I like being sober and I'm not going to fall back on my excuse of, oh, I've got to study. You're like, oh, I've got to meet with my group. It's like, no, I can still be an active participant in life and still be a great friend, cousin, sister, you know, daughter. I just am doing it sober. Like I'm doing it with a different lens on than before. Mm-hmm. I just want to say like, I'm so proud of you for making one, making this choice to take a different route in life than a lot of people in, in your life have taken. Yeah. Uh, and also just for graduating, getting your MBA. That's amazing. It just sounds like you're killing it and you're making great choices and succeeding in life like all around. So I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you. Um, you know, just like watching you go through your journey too is a huge inspiration and a big reason. Aww. So yeah, well, thank you again for for being here and for sharing your story. Like I said, it was great to to catch up and hear what you've been up to. And I wish you the best uh, with t- sharing this news with your family coming up soon. And you know, we're all the Soberland community here. We're all behind you, supporting you. Let us know how it goes. I will. I'll keep you updated. <laughs>
Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can do so by subscribing and leaving us a five-star review in iTunes. Also, please follow us on Instagram at Soberland underscore podcast. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week.